Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Are you guys ready for a little bit of Bible drill this morning? Anybody do Bible drill? We're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be flipping pages today. Uh, if you want to find First Peter chapter one, that's what we're gonna stand in a moment and read together. Uh, but then you'll also want to find your way to Isaiah. To Isaiah, you can start in Isaiah chapter eleven if you want to find the precise place. But again, we are going to be. Uh, jumping around in Isaiah and seeing a lot this morning there, and I hope and trust that it'll be good for you. Uh, so we're going to start with First Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you would stand and let's read God's word, <coughs> excuse me, together. First Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3, and then we're going to jump to verse 8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things you have now, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we think about Christmas and celebrate with joy the arrival of your son, Jesus. Help us to think deeply and think biblically about the ultimate source of our joy. God, help us to learn this morning from the prophets of old and from your promises made through them. God, would you direct our gaze towards you so that we might find our joy in you alone. We pray these things in the matchless, saving name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And remember, if you would like, you can uh, already flip to Isaiah chapter 11. This is going to be a little different this morning because we're not going to uh, expound on 1 Peter chapter 1. But I wanted to read 1 Peter chapter 1, and I hope you'll keep it in your mind um, because it serves as foundation, as foundation for everything that we're going to be talking about uh, from Isaiah this morning. Uh, a few minutes ago, we sang the song, Sing We the Song of Emmanuel. That was hard to say. I practiced that a lot. We sang the song, Sing We the Song of Emmanuel, and it was so good, wasn't it? 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I will confess that my mind drifts into the melodies and, you know, the music, and I'm not paying attention to the words, but those words were so good. I want to read uh, the first verse for you. Listen to these words. Sing we the song of Emmanuel, this the Christ who was long foretold, low in the shadows of Bethlehem, promise of dawn, now our eyes behold. Church, we sing often of promises made and promises kept. But let me ask you this question. Where do we find joy in the promises of God? Where do we find joy in the promises of God? Do we only find joy in promises kept? Or is there also joy to be found in promises made by God that have not yet been kept by God? We often find joy when looking at the promises God has kept. And let me, let me say this really clearly. We should find joy in the promises God has kept. Think about the way we do that. Think about Christmas, what we're celebrating now. We're looking back to God keeping his promise and sending a savior for us. Amen? There's joy to be found in the fact that we know that the Savior has come. Think about Good Friday. We celebrate on Good Friday in particular, looking back to the cross of Christ, the the worst day in history and also the best day in history because our Savior suffered and died, but he also fulfilled God's promise in in providing atonement and justification for those of us who are sinners against God. We think of Easter, right? On Easter, we celebrate what? The re- Man, you got to say that more excitedly. The resurrection, right? Yeah, we look back and we see, man, Jesus didn't stay dead. He conquered death and rose from the dead. All of these things are so important. But the prophets, when we think back to the Old Testament prophets, so often they and the people that they were speaking to were sitting under the promises of God made and not yet kept. And so we have to ask the question, was there joy for them? Was there joy for the prophets? Was there joy for the people um, who sat under these promises made, who had not yet seen them kept? And they were specifically sitting under uh, the promises, not just of a Messiah, right? Because Messiah just means anointed one. So every king of Israel was the anointed king, the anointed one of God. But they were not just looking for a Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah come to save God's people. So was joy available to them in the wait? Was joy available to them? Wait, that's our task for today. We're going to look back a long way back. We're going to look back before the ascension. We're going to look back before the resurrection. We're going to look back before the cross, before the manger, all the way back to the ministry of a prophet probably well known to us, whether we've studied the book or not, the prophet Isaiah and the promises made by God through him. And as we do, I told you that we want first Peter to serve as a foundation for us. So let me reread to you uh, a couple verses in first Peter one more time, because again, I know just like in songs, our minds sometimes drift, sometimes in reading chunks of scripture, our, our minds sometimes drift, but look back at first Peter chapter 10 or chapter one, verse 10, and just listen to these words again. Remember, we're about to dive into Isaiah, the prophet. The Apostle Peter says this, concerning this salvation, promise kept, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours 
They searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So did these prophets truly serve us well, right? They were there not to serve themselves, but us. Did they serve us well? And was joy available to them in the midst of their ministry as God was making these promises that had not yet been kept? So if you're taking notes, we're going to highlight four prophetic promises made. Four, four prophetic promises made by God through the prophet Isaiah this morning. But before we dive in, I, I want to help us get our bearings a little bit in Isaiah. I think that it hopefully will be helpful. So when was Isaiah's ministry? Um, so we're going to start where we are. Okay, so I'm going to kind of work down a timeline. We're in the year 2022. Can you believe that? Almost 2023. Um, and we're here celebrating today, uh, worshiping our God who sent Jesus to die and rise. Amen? So, so we gather on the Lord's Day on Sunday to worship the risen Savior, to look back at that promise kept. And particularly in this season, we're also remembering the birth of Jesus, right? But how long ago was the birth of Jesus? We're in 2022. So we have to walk back our timeline about 2,000 years to around 5 BC, and that's where we find the, the baby Jesus born in a manger. But as I said, Isaiah's ministry is farther back. So we kind of step back a little bit farther to the year 516 BC. So how long have we traveled? Any math people out there? 2,000 years, then 500 years farther back. So we're in 516 BC. I picked that because uh, we took a break for our Advent series, but we're studying Ezra and Nehemiah, right? Does anybody remember what happened in 516 BC? Something was completed. Does anybody remember? Yeah. All right. I preached that Sunday, so I wanted to see if you were listening. The, the temple was completed, right? But we're going 224 years farther. I'm not going to step off the stage. 224 years farther back from that rebuilding and completion of the temple um, to 740 B.C., to the start of Isaiah's ministry. The point is, it was a long time ago, um, and, and there was a long time in between promises made and promises kept. And Isaiah's ministry would focus uh, on several things, judgment, the judgment of God, not only on his people in his day, um, but on all people who sin against a holy God. But then Isaiah was also focusing on the coming Messiah, right? And that's going to be the primary focus that we look at in Isaiah today, his promise that the Messiah, not a Messiah, the Messiah would come. Two more things before we dive in to these prophetic promises. One, just a basic outline of the book. We're not going to read every word of Isaiah, but I want you to orient yourself within the book. Chapters 1 through 39 are a lot of prophetic promises of judgment, okay? And then there's dashes, sprinkles of hope mixed in. I said sprinkles. I just heard somebody make fun of me for that. Um, sprinkles of hope mixed in. Then in chapter 39, something familiar to us from Ezra and Nehemiah is the exile, right? The promise of exile. That would be the judgment of the people being sent from the land into exile in Babylon. And then chapters 40 through 66 are a ton of hope, a ton of promises of hope. Th those would contain a lot of the promises maybe that you're a little bit familiar with. And then finally, 
As I already think I alluded to, I want us to remember before we dive in that the promises made through Isaiah are not new. Now, they become clearer and more explicit even as we work through the chapters of Isaiah, but they're not new. Isaiah, and really the Lord through Isaiah, was building on a foundation of promises that had been being made by God to humanity since the fall of Adam and Eve. Think about Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We can gloss through that so quickly, but that was a promise of God that he was going to send what Steve alluded to in his prayer, a snake crusher to crush the head of the serpent. He would come, but he had not yet come. Think about Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred. And your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then building on the promises of God, Isaiah is building on the Davidic covenant, right? We, we've got a lot of kingly language. Second Samuel seven sixteen, God says, and your house, speaking to David, David's house and your kingdom, David, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established Forever. So as we examine God's promises through Isaiah, consider in your own heart and mind what it would have been like to be sitting in the post-fall, pre-Messiah coming, pre-incarnation time. What would it have been like to sit in that era under the promises of God made, but many of those promises not yet kept? What would have been your source of joy. What was their source of joy? Okay, so let's jump into the four prophetic promises. Promise number one, a branch from the stump of Jesse. That already sounds like Bible, doesn't it? A branch from the, I promise, a branch from the stump of Jesse. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse one. Isaiah chapter 11, verse one. There shall come, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So what exactly does that mean? Well, remember what's going on here. Let me give you a heads up. You can flip back a few pages to Isaiah chapter 6. So we're going to go backwards from Isaiah 11 to Isaiah chapter 6 to remember what is happening. God's people repeatedly rebelled against God. Does that sound familiar? We know that of God's people and we know that of ourselves. They repeatedly rebelled. They put their trust in things other than God. They put their trust in kings. They put their trust in kingdoms. They put their trust in leaders, even when those leaders led them away from the one true God. It seemed that they would put their trust in everything and everyone except the one true God. And they did it over and over and over again. And that's where we see Isaiah step into the scene, that famous throne room. You're probably familiar with it. That famous throne room scene in Isaiah chapter 6. Look down at verse 5. Isaiah is confronted. He's confronted, hit head on with 
the devastating reality of his own sin, personal and the sin of his people. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts smacked in the face with his own depravity. As an aside here, I want to talk, I know that some of our kids go to children's church, but there are some kids in the room, young kids, teenagers. Uh, Something that I've been working on with my own seven-year-old daughter is talking to her about the reality of her own sinfulness. Because apart from an understanding of our own sinfulness, how, how it separates us from God, that we don't care our, we don't compare our sinfulness to the person down the street or across the road or across the classroom who's more sinful than us, we have to compare ourselves to a holy God. Otherwise, if we don't understand our own sinfulness and what that does to us in relation to God, there's there's no goodness in the gospel. There's no need for it because we think we're good. We are not good. And Isaiah was smacked in the face with this reality. But God mercifully cleansed him. Amen? God mercifully cleansed him. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then God gave Isaiah what from, don't judge me here, but from a human perspective is a terrible mission, an awful mission. God commissioned Isaiah to go and preach judgment to the people. Do you remember that? He said, you're to go and preach to them that judgment is going to come on. And guess what, Isaiah? You're going to preach that and they are not going to hear it. Do you remember that about Isaiah? Why? Because their ears were closed and their hearts were hard. And what was Isaiah's response? Look at verse 11 of chapter 6. He says, then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, listen to this reply from the Lord. Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump, there's that word, remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. You see, this is the backdrop of what Isaiah is talking about throughout his ministry. That's the backdrop of the promise made in Isaiah chapter 11, 1, that a branch would come from this stump. Isaiah preached, even promised God's judgment, and God's judgment came, right? It came on Israel. We know about that. It led to the destruction of the northern and southern kingdoms. But that destruction, and again, I keep thinking of our study of Ezra and Nehemiah, that destruction was not total. God's mercy prevailed. Amen? God's mercy prevailed. A stump remained, and God promised. Let the weight of that sit on you for a second. God promised, God promised through Isaiah that a fruit-bearing branch would shoot up from that almost dead stump. 
Promise number one, a branch from the stump of Jesse. Promise number two is kind of an answer to the question, what or who is this promised branch, right? Because we're talking about a stump and we're talking about a branch. What or who is this promised branch? Promise number two, Emmanuel, the promised branch would be called Emmanuel and he would be born of a virgin. We were in chapter 6, so you just have to go one chapter more to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We read a chunk of this earlier in the service. I just want to read verse 14 for you again. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. So what is the promised branch? The promised branch is a person, right? The promised branch is a person, but not just any person, a human being that would be born as a sign, born of a woman, but not just any woman, born supernaturally, right? It's a supernatural thing. Pastor Stephen talked about that last week. It's a supernatural, miraculous thing for a baby to be born of a virgin. We cannot make that happen. God does that. And he said that that's what we should be looking for. And the promised person wouldn't just be a human. Mind blown, right? Singing of the wondrous mysteries. The, the, Jesus, we know, would come, but this promised Emmanuel would not just be a human. He would be human, 100% human, but he would also be divine, and he would be given the name Emmanuel, which means, yeah. Again, I just want to pause. How amazing. God with us. And that wasn't a new promise, right? If you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, you know that repeatedly throughout the Old Testament and the story of God's people, God was promising what? He was promising over and over again, I will be with you. Just trust me. I will be with you. However, this time the promise of God's presence was not associated with a place like the garden or the tabernacle or the temple. This time, the prophetic promise was associated with a person, with a person. But how would God's people recognize this promised person? So promise number one, a branch from the stump of Jesse. Promise number two, he would be called Emmanuel. He would be born of a virgin. But how would God's people recognize this promised person? He would not just be any king because the people had seen kings rise and kings fall but he would be an everlasting king with a forever kind of kingdom. Look with me a couple chapters later, Isaiah chapter 9. Are you guys still hanging with me in the Bible drill? It's really only a Bible book drill, right? It's all Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 9, look at verses 6 and 7. You're going to be so familiar with this. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. When? 
from this time forth and forevermore. How? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So how would God's people be able to recognize this king, this savior Messiah when he arrived? What would set him apart from all the kings who came before him? Well, first and foremost, the distinguishing mark of the Messiah king is that he is God, right? He is God, an audacious claim for anyone to make except God. And God was making this claim through the prophet Isaiah. Just look at these titles promised to describe Emmanuel. Look back at verse 7, or excuse me, verse 6. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. We've got this wonderful, personal, comforting counselor promised. But we've also got mighty God, protector, ruler, authority, everlasting father. In those days, in the days of the kings, oftentimes the king would be referred to as the father of the nation. And we are looking forward to, they were looking forward to, excuse me, an everlasting father and a prince of peace. You see, the promised one would be marked also by perfect justice and extreme mercy. But God has another promise to make through Isaiah, and this one is a surprising promise for the people. It may not be surprising to you if you're familiar with the Bible, but it was surprising to the people in Isaiah's day. The people should not just be looking for a conquering king, but promise number four, they should also be looking for a suffering servant come to save. Okay, you're going to have to flip far this time. Isaiah 52. I'm turning pages with you. Isaiah 52. We're going to read verse 13, and then we're going to jump to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, He, the servant, shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Jump to verse uh, verse 2 of chapter 53. This servant, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom mid men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Let me pause right there. This is not sounding like a conquering king, right? Like this does not sound like the one that they had been looking for. He goes on, surely in verse four, he has borne our griefs, And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own Way And the Lord has laid on him, this servant, the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, 
Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Guys, so much could be said. So much could be said about this chapter, but I really want to let my words be few. This promise in Isaiah 52 and 53, this promise of a suffering servant, it was perplexing, probably for Isaiah, definitely for God's people, any who happened to have their ears unclogged and were listening, because it was not who they had been looking for. The people had been looking for a Messiah king, like we read about in Isaiah chapter 9. But the question was, who would this suffering servant be? And more specifically, is it possible that joy can be found in suffering? Is it possible that joy could be found in the promise of a suffering servant? Four promises made, and I'm guessing you know, four promises kept. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.20, you don't have to turn there. He said, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Amen? Man, that's a good bow to put on the present of God's word, right? It gives us a filter, a lens through which to read all of God's words. All of these prophetic promises have been fulfilled in Jesus. Let's review them briefly. Promise number one made, a branch from the stump of Jesse, Isaiah 11.1. 1. Promise kept, Jesus was a son of Jesse. You go, why do all these genealogies matter? Well, I'm not going to read it to you. Matthew chapter one, though, go back and look at the genealogy. We see that Jesus came from the line of David, the son of Jesse, born in the town of David. Promise kept. Promise number two made. Emmanuel, born of a virgin. Promise kept. Matthew chapter 1. Again, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. A person a person. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, God with us. Promise made number three, an everlasting king from Isaiah 9. Promise kept in Luke 1, 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great will be called son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, a kingly throne, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Promise kept. And promise number four, a suffering servant come to save. In Isaiah 52, 53, promise kept. I couldn't narrow it down, guys. I'm going to be honest. Just read the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them tell the story of God's promise kept in Jesus who lived and served and sacrificed and suffered and died and rose and ascended, sent his spirit and promises to come again, blowing all of our expectations out of the water. Amen. Promise Kept. You see, the suffering servant, don't miss this, the suffering servant come to save is one and the same with the Messiah King come to reign. It just didn't happen in the way that everyone, including if I had lived back then, you and I expected it 
they expected it to happen. So let me close today, um, for lack of a better description, with just with three pastoral encouragements from what we talked about today. Number one, there is hope to be found in the promises of God. There is hope to be found in the promises of God. I have to confess, so I was talking with Pastor Stephen about this this week, that I love working through books of the Bible because you come to a text um, and the text teaches you, right? And so you can be faithful to the text or unfaithful, but the text teaches you what, uh, from what it says. And in a time like Advent, we're focusing on joy, right? Big letters. I don't know if you can see it behind me. Joy. And so we're doing a series on joy. And so it's just a wrestle to come to the text without my presuppositions. And so if I'm honest, I came to Isaiah um, and was asking the question, is there joy to be found in the promises of God made and not yet kept? And I just assumed that the answer and the conclusion that I would come to would be yes, of course there's joy to be found. But scripture, as it so often does, surprised me. It surprised me. When I came to the text, joy was not what I immediately found. Instead, through all the prophets and all the promises of both judgment and mercy, I kept seeing hope. I kept seeing Hope. Remember 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Sometimes as I was studying, I saw the hope. I saw that hope in a faithful prophet like Isaiah who received a terrible assignment and still responded with an obedient, here am I, Lord. Send me. Sometimes I saw that hope in an imperfect king, Hezekiah, for example. We didn't talk about him today, um, but he was one of the kings that lived during this time. And he continued, not perfectly, to turn to God when everyone else, including his father, the king before him, was turning to political powers and military might. I also saw hope in a broken, nearly dead stump of a people, the people of Israel, the people of Israel in exile who journeyed back to Jerusalem and rebuilt an entire city, temple, walls, in hope that God would keep his promises. So I looked at God's word and I saw instead of joy, hope, but, but make no mistake. If you have ever looked at the one true God and found hope in him, you did not walk away with hope alone. You walked away with a peace that transcends all understanding and you walked away with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. There is hope to be found in the promises of God. Encouragement number two, I'm calling this an encouragement. We'll see how you, excuse me, we'll see how you take it. Proclaim, proclaim the God who makes and keeps his promises. Proclaim it to all who will listen. You see, God's promise in Isaiah 52 and 53 led me forward. So if you want to flip in your Bibles forward to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. His, his promise in Isaiah 52 and 53, because we live 
post-Messiah coming, living, and dying. We have the joy of being able to look at some of these promises fulfilled and the implications. So it led me to Acts chapter 8. Look with me at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Hear this account and how it goes down. Remember, under the encouragement to proclaim the God who makes and keeps his promises. Isaiah, or Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise. Go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading who? The prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. See if it sounds familiar. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? So was Isaiah talking about himself or was he talking about someone else? And I love this. This should be such an encouragement to all of us. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Philip took God's promises made through Isaiah, and he proclaimed God's promise kept in Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian's life was changed forever. Isn't that amazing? Now, let's be real. I've never had a moment quite like this, okay? So I don't want to, like, set you up for an unattainable goal. Never um, has it been laid out that easy and somebody stopped their chariot and said, look, there's water, let's go be baptized. But I want you to know that by God's grace, as I've grown in Christ, and it's not easy and I'm not always faithful, uh, as I've learned to proclaim the God Proclaim God and his gospel through whatever door is open to me in a particular conversation, whether it's a question about faith or whether it's a scripture from the Old Testament. As I've learned to, to point people to the fulfillment of all those promises, Jesus, over time and through those questions and through prayer, by God's grace, I have seen people over time say, yes, I want to trust this Savior, Jesus, and be baptized. And I want you to know that as special as you probably think Philip is because he made it into the New Testament, man, if you asked Philip, he was just like you. He was just like me. And he just said yes to Jesus's commission to proclaim the God who makes and keeps promises. Amen. Encouragement. Oh, no, I wanted to say one more thing. Sorry, I forgot. The song, Sing We the Song of Emmanuel. Again, so good as I was preparing for this sermon. I want to read to you the final verse in chorus in light of that encouragement to proclaim the God who makes and keeps his promises. The final verse in chorus. Go spread the news of Emmanuel. Joy and peace for the weary heart. Lift up your heads for your king has come. Sing for the light overwhelms 
the dark glory shining for all to see. Hope alive. Let the gospel ring. God has made a way. He will have the praise. Tell the world his name is Jesus. Amen. Proclaim the God who makes and keeps his promises. Last encouragement. Finally, I want to make sure that we connect the dots and all realize that we are still walking in the shoes of Isaiah. Like, I want you to think that everything we just talked about was just related to Isaiah and the prophets of the Old Testament. While he proclaimed the promises of Jesus's first advent, and we have the joy, the genuine joy of knowing that promise was kept, Isaiah also proclaimed the second advent, the second arrival, the second coming of Jesus. And that has not yet been fulfilled. A promise made and not yet kept. Isaiah 65, if you want to read that on your own time, specifically proclaims the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. The apostle Peter instructs us in 1 Peter 1.13 that we read earlier. Therefore, he says, in, all, in light of all this, the things the prophets foretold, the promises kept in Christ, the good news of Jesus proclaimed to you, he says, in light of all this, Prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded, and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus when he comes again. So as we remember God's promises made today, as we remember God's promises kept this morning in Jesus Christ, may it fuel our hope. May it fuel our hope and our joy that one day, one glorious day, Jesus will come again. And on that day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you so much that we can sing with confident hope the song of Emmanuel. God, I pray this morning, if there's someone in the room, like, like Steve prayed earlier, if there's someone in the room who finds the Christmas season anything but joyful, I pray that that they would have confidence this morning that you see them in their pain and you have hope for them. God, would you soften hearts? Would you open ears? And would you bring salvation this morning? God, I pray, um, God, I pray that as we sing this final song, God, that those of us who are in Christ, we would sing with conviction. God, sing with conviction because our joy is found not simply in promises made, not simply in promises kept, but in the God who makes and keeps those promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.